you know, this last year, as well as the start of this year, we've actually seen some things that have blown our minds. When we've seen the responses of people to this COVID pandemic, to the racial tensions and the political issues been on the table this last year. We saw people on the streets, we saw politicians, we saw media that were really full of anger, full of selfishness, full of hypocrisy, full of division and lawlessness and violence, and I don't care what side of the political aisle you sit on, we've seen it on both sides. I don't care what TV station you watch. You know, there's been so much this last year that has disturbed my heart, and I know other people's hearts as we watch what's gone on. And I gotta be honest with you, as I've seen this, my thought is to really look down upon these people and wish they were all locked up. I think we'd be better off if that was the case. That's just where my honest heart was. And then I heard a video clip we listened to in our staff meeting where Roy Patterson said this, when you look at the looters, do you look at them as wild animals that need to be caged or as sheep without a shepherd? Did that ever strike me? I mean, my thinking was so far away from Jesus at that time. I'm thinking, lock them all up, get these people in jail, you know, all this. And yet the heart of Jesus, as he looked out at the multitudes, he saw people who were sheep without a shepherd. And I struggled with that as I saw my own heart and I realized that, you know what? Lost people, you know what they act like? They act like lost people. <laughs> and what do you expect lost people to look like when they're angry about something that bothers them deeply? Again, I don't care what side of the aisle you sit on. There have been people angry on both sides about things going on. And then on top of it, restrict them into their homes for months upon months or you know, people losing jobs and things. There has been such an environment that's been so toxic in our country over the last year that has been so difficult and you put anger into that, and it's like putting everything on steroids and people's worst behaviors come out. And you know, the passage we're going to look at this morning in Ephesians chapter 4, if you have your Bibles, turn to it, explains to us why lost people act the way they do. It'll give us some perspective when we consider what we've seen over this last year in so many different places. As we've seen people's behaviors, this passage explains to us why they behave the way they do. But you need to know before I read this passage, it's not necessarily a, a teaching that gives us principles that Christians should live by. His concern is evidently there were people in the Ephesians church that were living no different than the Gentiles that were around them. So the real concern of this passage is which believers, and we'll talk about Moraine Valley Church, have responded this last year to these different things like the world would respond and no different. You see, because in this text, he's telling the Ephesians to stop acting like the Gentiles. And this passage is directed to us today 
as we understand the way that they think is he'll explain it to them and he tells us that's the reason why you need to stop acting like them as believers. So watch for this as I read the text. The Ephesians church acting just like the Gentiles, not all of them, uh, some of them in there, and him calling them to stop doing that. Starting in verse 17 of Ephesians chapter 4. And you know, we're in that section of the book talking about our walk with the Lord. We're calling it walk worthy. And we're going to see again, he's talking about the way we walk our lifestyle as believers. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. Being darkened in their understanding excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. Indeed, if you've heard him and have been taught in him just as truth is in Jesus. And in this passage, he's telling the believers not to walk like them because he's going to tell them why they act the way they do. And the thing we're going to learn in this passage is this. People who don't know Jesus act the way they do because they're driven, their actions are driven by their thinking. Look back at verse 17. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk. How do they walk? In the futility of their mind. That's what he describes. Their walk is a walk that is driven by the futility in their minds. You know, we know what our mind is. The mind is the place where all our knowledge and our facts and our information go into, into the mind. But the mind also has another job. It processes all that information. So on one hand, we see what's going on. We learn things. We get knowledge. It goes into our minds. All those facts are stored there, those truths, that information, whatever be the case. And that's the place that it's work processing what we heard. But he says it's the futility of their minds that drives the way that they walk. Futility means useless. It means that it uh, really lacks content. It's something that, that we are not able to use well because of the content, content that is missing. Now I want you to think about this with me for a second. There are very intelligent lost people. You know, this is certainly not saying that because they're not as smart as Christians, they act like that. We know some of the greatest minds in the world don't know Jesus. In fact, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, I think it is, or 3, 7 says this. Always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. You see, people who don't know Jesus, they're intelligent, they're learning, they're learning more, they're learning bigger and better things, they're learning a lot of things, but they're never coming to the knowledge of the truth. 
the truth, the ultimate truth, the truth about God, the truth that is revealed in his word. And so we see people who are operating in life out of their, their actions are being driven by the way they think, but the way they think is lacking the content that comes from God's word and from having life with God. So he says, as he goes on in verse 18 to develop this, being darkened in their understanding. Their understanding, again, is that that's the understanding is the ability to reason to come to conclusions, to take this information and work with it and reason through and grasp and understand. But the reason their minds are futile is because they're darkened in their ability to reason because they're excluded from the life of God. You see, those that live in the world live a life that is not driven by God or by his word. It's a mind that is intelligent. It's a mind that's full of a lot of information. It's a mind that can solve great mysteries in science. But it's a mind that is excluded from the life of God. And because they're excluded from the life of God, they don't open this book to find out the truth that we learn about God. And then he says this as he goes on in verse 19. And they've become callous having given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. This is what callous means. You know, we use our hands something, we use that part of it over and over so much times that it becomes callous. It no longer has the ability to feel. It loses its sensitivity. What happens is, is the heart of those who don't know Jesus as they're indulging in their sins their heart and their soul is getting calloused. They lose the ability to feel shame and embarrassment. And so now their heart has been calloused. They got a mind that when it comes to the things of God is useless. It, it, it is driven by thinking that totally excludes God and his word and they become callous in the way they live, they've lost the ability to feel shame or embarrassment for what they do. And listen to this. As we see here, this passage takes us way beyond this last year and last summer, but the direction of our entire culture, especially in the area of sexuality, as he says this, they become callous, having given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity. We're hearing about kinds of impurity we couldn't even imagine about 10 years ago that's happening in our culture today. And not only are they practicing every kind of impurity, but they're doing it with greediness. Can't get enough. Let's do more. Let's do it different. Let's try this. Let's do that. And we got a culture who is being driven in the way they live by a mind that excludes God and his word. And they are giving themselves over to sensuality and sin and becoming calloused in their hearts. And so Paul says this. This is why he wants believers <laughs> not to live like the Gentiles live. 
Believer, do you realize that the ways of the world are driven by a thinking that has nothing to do with God and nothing to do uh, with his word and the way it is? So we put all this together. We say this. Their actions are driven by thinking that excludes God and his word. Therefore, don't act like them. That's what he's saying in this passage. And I just want to give us two takeaways today on this. First one's going to have to do with the passage directly. The second one, I'm going to kind of expand a little bit broader than the passage and take some further truths about these things. But the first thing is this. Obviously, we said it. It's clear. You can't miss it, believers. Don't act like the world. (laughs) Don't act like the world. Stop walking like them because their way of life is driven by a way of thinking that excludes God and his word. And so what he's doing in this text is he's calling us to walk in a manner that's worthy of the Lord. Let's think about the way people think today. You know, basically we've moved to a place where people in North America especially consider themselves self-autonomous. That means this, that I am my own boss and I determine my own right and wrong. There's no authority outside of me. There's no boss above me. I am self-autonomous. I determine my own ways. I determine what's right and wrong. I call my own shots. Now, what did we learn just two weeks ago in the church? Where does unity come when we recognize we have one Lord and we have one faith? Because when we operate under one Lord, guess what? I'm not the boss anymore. (laughs) I don't get to call the shots in my life. And we as believers say, Jesus calls the shots. I don't call my own shots. He's the master. He's the Lord. Uh, He's my king. He's the one I obey, not my own dictates. And when it comes to what's right or wrong, we've been taught we, we all operate out of one faith, the word of God. This tells me what's true and false. This tells me what's right and what's wrong. And so the self-autonomous say, I determine myself what's right and wrong. Uh, you know, I can use circumstances to determine what's right and wrong. You know, they do all kinds of situational ethics, uh, subjective feelings, uh, autonomous thinking, and yet we have the objective word of God that tells a believer how to live their life and what's right or wrong. So his first takeaway here is believers. Don't live like the Gentiles. Take your lead from Jesus, our one Lord, and take your lead from his word, our one faith. Oops, here's my second application. Hopefully I don't need that. Gary, would you? Yeah, thanks, brother. Here's my second application. Thanks, bro. Is this. Lost sheep need a shepherd. (laughs) Why did Jesus come? He came to seek and save the lost. The ones we just saw described in Ephesians chapter 4. 
by Paul himself and the way they think. The reason Jesus came is to seek and save that which is lost. The reason why he gave his life and shed his blood and God so loved the world and every one of us was lost before we came to know Jesus. Every one of us was an enemy. And yet Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And what do we find in the Great Commission? He sent us. <laughs> he sent us to seek and save the lost. Those who have no shepherd. To tell them the good news about the shepherd. You know, I say this humbly, but it's true. We have got the message that the world needs more than anybody else. Brothers and sisters, the message we bring is greater than any Republican agenda or Democratic agenda or independent agenda or any other way that's out there because we bring people the message of Jesus and we point them to a Savior to someone who is bigger than them and bigger than us and someone that can fix us personally and is going to come back someday and fix this world. You see, we really are the ones that carry the message that brings hope to a lost world because that message is in Jesus Christ. So I guess what strikes me if your heart is like mine, you're looking down on the lost. I don't care if they're a Democratic lost person or a Republican lost person. I don't care if they're a black person or a white person. I don't care what color. I don't care what social status. I don't care what religion. I don't care what political agenda it is. If you're lost, you're lost. And you need Jesus. And we're the ones that God has sent to bring them to Jesus. So let me tell you a little bit more about the state of a lost person. 2 Corinthians chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says this. But a natural man, that's a man who doesn't know Jesus, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they're spiritually appraised. Leave that up here for a second. Let, let me comment to that for just a second. What we see here is that a man who doesn't know Jesus, he doesn't accept the things, they're full of this, this, you guys are nuts. They hear us talking about Jesus and the Bible and, and, and this is all like foolishness. And he goes on to say he, he cannot understand them. We just saw they're darkened in their understanding, remember? He cannot understand them. He can't grasp what's going on. Why? Because they're spiritually appraised. A person that doesn't know Jesus, when we talk to them, unless God is doing something in their heart, they think we're foolish and they just have no idea what we're saying because they're spiritually appraised. It's because these things are discerned on a spiritual means not a fleshly, natural means. I love, I was in a discussion with a group of men about this. It was John Morfoot, who uh, I remember gave me this illustration as we are talking about this, trying to wrestle with it. He said it's like this. It's like God operates on an FM frequency, but the lost people only have an AM receiver. You following me? 
So here we got it going. God is broadcasting these spiritual things here, but a person who doesn't know Jesus doesn't have the ability to understand them because they're spiritually appraised on an FM frequency. They only have an AM receiver. And so it's so that what we're dealing with is something that is really requires a miracle of God for them to come to Christ. See, this is what we think. If I make the language simpler, if I get a simpler uh, translation, if I give clearer illustrations, if I find better ways to present it, you know, we just kind of think all this kind of stuff. According to this verse, if that's the case, then it means this. It means it's like I'm speaking to somebody in Chinese at a third grade level because I've made it simpler for them to understand and I'm using illustrations that are easier to get and, but we don't get it. It's because it's like they're hearing Chinese, man. This is foolishness. I don't get it. They don't have the frequency. They don't understand Chinese. And these are things that are spiritually discerned. And so while I do everything I can to be clear and simple, that's not where my hope and dependence is because that doesn't have the power to bring a natural man to Christ. So the first thing when we think about our ministry to the lost is that we have to think about people who don't have the equipment to receive what I'm saying. It's going to take something more than my best presentations and my best illustrations for them to come to Christ. Look at the second verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded. He has blinded the mind of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Here you are holding up right in front of them the gospel message, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, and they can't see that bright, glorious light even though you're holding it in front of them. Why? It's because the God of this world has blinded their minds. We think that the lost are blindfolded. And so I think, well, if I just pull away the blindfold, then they can see. So I'm going to give them better illustrations. I'm going to give them better apologetics. I'm going to give them better reasoning. I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to really bring it on. And, and what we realize, and we think if I just give them the right answer, the blindfold will be removed and they'll see. See, they're blind. You can remove the blindfold, they still can't see. A blind person doesn't have the ability to see. And we need to double this because guess who blinded their minds? The God of this world. So they're blind because Satan has blinded them. And that gives us another problem, because guess what? No human resource, no human reasoning, no human effort can overpower satanic work. So we're dealing with people whose minds, in their minds they think what we say is foolishness, and they couldn't understand them if they wanted. And second of all, their minds are blinded by Satan. That's why their lives are driven by the futility of their minds, because they've been separated from God and his word. 
But here's the good news. We can't save anybody. My best presentation can't save anybody. My best illustration can't save anybody. But God can save people. He gives sight to the blind. He overcomes Satan because greater is he who's in us than he that's in the world. He's the one that regenerates the heart. And he's the one who takes out the old man and all that deadness and puts in a brand new man with a new mind and a new heart and a new equipment, so to say, to be able to receive the things of God and recognize these things are foolish and be able to understand them and appreciate them. You see, this is the way I say it. For a person to get saved, it takes a miracle the size of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, if they're spiritually dead, what do we learn about a dead person? They no longer participate in the world that's here. They can't reach out. They can't engage. They can't participate. Well, a spiritually dead person can't even reach out themselves to God. They're spiritually dead. When it comes to the love of the Spirit, that part that connects with God, they have nothing within them. They can't participate in the spiritual life. They can't reach out to God. But what does God do? He raises the dead. And this is what we got to understand. This is so important. All it is is a shift in our dependence because so many people are depending upon their ability to share the gospel rather than depending upon the Spirit of God to work a miracle of resurrection. Are you following what I'm saying? This is big. I, ho I hope you catch it. I will repeat it if I can remember what I said. Sometimes it's hard to remember, isn't it? But to be saved takes a miracle the size of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I can't depend upon my ability to present the gospel. I'm the carrier of the gospel and I get that privilege from God and I thank him for that awesome privilege to be the one who brings before people the glory of God, the great image of Jesus, and I bring it before their blind minds and I'm trusting God. I'm not depending on myself. I'm depending upon God to do a miracle for God to open the eyes of the blind, to give life to the dead, to resurrect their spiritual deadness and to give them new life. That's what it takes for a lost person to be saved. And here's the good news. The weapons of our warfare are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. If you go back to 2 Corinthians 10 where he talks about this, the fortresses are lies that are built up into our mindsets. And so what happens, God has given us spiritual tools that can overcome those thoughts, the vanity, the blindness, the lack of understanding, the foolishness that happens in the mind of a lost person. Well, let me just tell you some of those tools. First of all, the gospel. Listen to what Romans 1 says. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. To everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, right built into the DNA of the gospel is the power for somebody to come to life. There is power 
in God's word that we don't fully comprehend, but we've experienced it. And there's that ability for the gospel message as we lay it out, that the power in the very DNA of the good news of Jesus Christ and what he did when he died for our sins that is strong enough to break the darkness of others. And then there's the Holy Spirit. Listen to John chapter 16. When he comes, speaking of the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning. Let me stop with convict. I love the convincing ministry of the Holy That's what convict means. It means to convince. It means that the Holy Spirit convinces that person. We try to convince them. And what I need to do is trust bringing the word of God, the gospel message and, and its message, and trusting the Holy Spirit as I share that message with it, he in their heart of hearts and convince them the truthfulness of that message and the sinfulness of their own heart and their need for Jesus. And so that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But we try to do the ministry for them. We're trying to convince them. We're trying to tell them what bad sinners they are. We're trying to call them to do all these things. And when my dependence needs to be, as I come bringing this message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I'm going to trust that the Holy Spirit's going to do something in their heart that I can never do. And he's going to convict them concerning sin, concerning righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. The great sin of the world is unbelief in Jesus. You know why? Because if you believed in Jesus, that covers every other sin you've ever done. And I've had people say, well, you're going to tell me I'm not going to go to heaven because I've done this or because I've done that or I've done this thing. No, it has nothing to do with it. I'm saying you won't go to heaven because you won't believe in Jesus to forgive you for all those sins. The great sin of the lost is unbelief. Not their moral depravity, but their unbelief. And we need the Spirit of God as we share the gospel to convince them, you know what, you're right. I am a sinner. And concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. Jesus, seated at the right hand of the Father, the only one who can see the Father, the one who goes into his presence because he's the righteous one, just like the Father. And he's proved it because he ascended right to his right hand. And so he's convincing people, you're not as righteous as Jesus. That's what, that's what conviction of sin is. You know, he's convincing people in their heart of hearts, you're right. Jesus is the only standard of righteousness there is. It isn't how good a Christian can be or whatever standard we set up. It's Jesus. And the Holy Spirit's convincing people that you can never be as good as Jesus, therefore you're a sinner. And on the other hand, he convinces people that it's true that Jesus is offering his righteousness to you as a gift that you can't earn when you put your faith in him. And so as I present the truth of the gospel to people, I'm depending upon the Spirit of God to convince them I'll never be as good as Jesus and the righteousness that I need that comes from him, he gives me as a gift. And then he says, and concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. He convinces them that someday you're gonna be held accountable for your life and that you're gonna someday stand before the God of the universe. 
And there's something when the Holy Spirit, you know it, you've been there, those of you who know Jesus, when the Holy Spirit speaks to you, convinces you about something, and when the Holy Spirit's telling that person, as I'm sharing the gospel, my trust is not in my presentation, my trust is in the Spirit of God and the power of the gospel itself, that as that's being shared, the Holy Spirit's doing something in them I can never do. Then the final thing, weapon we have is prayer. And I'm not going to say the final. I'm going to say third one I share today. There's other weapons, but prayer. You know, uh, we, we learn in the scripture, Ron Hutchcraft taught us about this, the three open prayer. We pray that God will open up a door of opportunity for us. We pray that God will open our mouths and put the words in our mouths that we need to say because of repeated presentation that I learned in a class that I try to cookie cut and give to every person really doesn't work. God's got unique words and unique questions and unique things for you to say to unique people as you're in front of them. So I'm trusting God to give me the words that I need in this unique situation with this unique person. And then it says that God opened Lydia's heart. God has to open the heart of a lost person to be saved. So this is my message this morning, guys. If any of you are like me, the first message is this. If you're acting like the rest of the world's acting, I don't care if it's in your private discussions, if it's on Facebook, if it's in Twitter, Twitter, whatever it's called, shows how much I know of that stuff. But I don't care what, if you're, if, if I look at what you're saying, it's no different than the world, you're probably being driven by a way of thinking and living that has, is excluded from God and his word. And so the first message has to do with us believers. Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. And live with a mind that is filled with God and his truth and let that be what dictates your life. And the second message is this. Maybe you're like I was at the start, and when you look at people like this, you despise them. And you feel like these people ought to be locked up. You're just kind of like, I want nothing to do with these people. I just, oh, I'm just going to, you know, whatever. You know what, guys? That's not the heart of Jesus. See, the heart of Jesus, he looked out upon the sheep without a shepherd, and he had compassion for them. <laughs> do we have compassion for the lost? That's a question I gotta ask my own heart, especially in this year, because we've seen lost at its worst, if you might wanna say, this last year. And the question is, is do I have the heart of God towards lost people? Is my heart full of compassion and mercy and prayer and gospel taking and dependence that these lost people will come to know Jesus. So this is my exhortation to us today, brothers and sisters. Stop it if you're acting like the world because that's a vain, empty way of living. And for us that are believers, we need to fill our hearts with compassion and mercy for the lost. And we need to arm ourselves with the gospel of Jesus Christ, dependence upon the Holy Spirit, we prayerfully ask him to open opportunities for us, to give us the words we need, and to open the hearts of people as they hear it. Brothers and sisters, that's what I had to share today. I don't have a fancy ending, but uh, this, this is the burden of my heart for Moraine Valley, 
May God make us a church of people who bleed for the lost rather than condemning, fighting with, or acting like them. So Father, I come to you and I just, uh, I want to ask you, Father, that the Holy Spirit will do his work of convincing, convincing us of the truth we heard today. Father, we heard your word and I thank you for his, I don't have to convince people. All I have to do is proclaim it. It's your job to convince the people at home, to convince the people here and convince me. So Lord, we invite the spirit of God to work deep within our hearts. And I pray especially, Lord, fill us with your mercy and your compassion for the lost. Give us a heart like yours, Jesus. And then, Lord, would you arm us with a dependence that's not in how well we do it, but it's in your ability to perform a miracle. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.